Welcome to Pop Culture Playoffs, the show where we take everything you love and make them face off to declare which is the best in its category. Video games, movies, music, we do it all. And now your hosts, Chris and Marcus. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Pop Culture Playoffs. So this Woo! this is our official first, well, not official, we've done a couple on Twitch that we did live, but Pop Culture Playoffs, this was originally Movie Zagats, and Marcus had the great idea, hey, what if we transition away from our structure of Movie Zagats into something that has a little more room, a lot more longevity, mm -hmm. which is taking anything that is pop culture based and doing our format of movie zagats if you haven't heard movie zagats before what we originally did was we took an actor director's top eight movies put them in a two-sided march madness style bracket made them force off against face off against each other to discover the best movie and so now we have taken that model and at marcus's amazing suggestion we have done that with other things things like we did uh the top I think video games, Nintendo 64 it, video games. Yeah, and that was a great, great episode. A lot of fun. And then we have other things in the works, like anything pop culture based. Top eight Metallica songs, top eight episodes of a show. And oh, Metallica. Th that's the Stranger Things band, right? Uh, no, that's ACDC. Oh, I did, I did not know. Did you see that? Did you see all the backlash? No, I never the saw the last. Uh, I never, didn't watch the last two. Well, seasons. they were featured on Stranger Things, and then like you know, all these young young people out there. I mean, we're in our thirties, but all these young people out there discovering Metallica, and all these all these people are like, no, you don't get to like Metallica because of Stranger Things. I, I, I really? thought it was weird to me. Yeah. Oh come on! Like, I know. would people say the same thing about the Beatles? Maybe. Like, what, the, what Was yesterday their first exposure to the Beatles? Who knows? Oh, that's a really that's good a, song. That's an underrated movie. It, it is. It is an underrated movie. Okay, but... Uh, anyway, I wanted to get us off the rails. That's what we do. You know, I, 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 we right, do let's get we back on track. We derail quite a bit. But I like how you said, you know, Marcus is brilliant. He had all these great ideas to, like, to transition to video games and music. But what are we doing We're today? back to movies. Uh, yeah! <laughs> so uh, we're doing the... Top eight Quentin Tarantino movies. Now, for full disclosure, we did this like what four years ago, probably longer. I'm gonna say probably before my oh, twins yeah. were born, so maybe seven, eight oh, years yeah. ago. But there were not some of the movies out that are you know released now uh, that were on the list. So we have just eight great tarantino movies this is where it's going to get hard though right so you look at a filmography like um spielberg right he's got a few bad clunkers in there and some some movies that you're just like oof yeah that was rough thanks stevie whereas tarantino they're all at such a level of just pristine filmmaking that just because one beats out another doesn't mean that one that got beat is bad it's just the other's just so good. And this is, I think this is going to be a tough one. It's going to be very difficult. You know, and what happens with stuff like this is you and I won't argue as much as it will just argue with ourselves. Yes. Oh, God. Because I'm looking at this bracket going, oh, my God, what do I pick here? Um, we're, we're, we're in for it today. There's, there's a few. I think there's, there's 
two where I'm like, oh yeah, well that one moves on, of course. But if if mm-hmm. you know, okay, so we'll just start, right? You want to just jump into it? Let's go. We got them seated. We got the, our top seed going up against our bottom seed. We got Chris has his uh, on a bracket. I, I'm ready to go. So we're just starting number one versus number eight. Yes, and and for for anybody that hasn't heard before, okay, this is how we do this. We have a pool of about seventy different people that vote and rank all the movies or items in whatever we're doing for the episode. So Tarantino movies, everybody goes in to the shared you know spreadsheet they send me their their picks i organize them i have an algorithm easy thing press a button organizes added points value and ranks you know based on everybody's selections the top eight items for this tarantino movies so this pool of people is a very eclectic mix from people over 60 to people at 20 right so we have that really good dynamic we used to do this based on imdb score and that's just not reliable Okay, I have a poster. No, everyone's always review bombing stuff now. And, I have a poster you know, behind me with it. that my wife gave me. That's one of those scratch offs, right? And it's the top one hundred. I have that exact same poster, right? It's off my camera too. Yeah. And The Dark Knight Rises is on there. I'm sorry, that does not deserve to be in the top one hundred movies <laughs> of all time for IMDb. Neither does Hamilton on Disney Plus. <laughs> no. You- that's <laughs> freaking Chris. So I remember I got that exact that exact same poster, and I distinctly remember going. Dark Knight Rises? What? Yes. And you are the biggest Batman fan I know. I know. I just, it's not the best movie. I revisited a while ago. And I know we're talking about it when you can do Nolan or Batman movies. All right. But. So we have in the number one, this is the top left side of the bracket, number one versus number eight, the number one seed in Glorious Bastards. Whew. Against number eight, how ironic, The Hateful Eight. All right. <laughs> so. Netflix recently released the extended version as a four-part series of The Hateful yeah. Eight. I have not yet watched it. I want I to. have. And Chris, I feel like it's, and I hate to say this, just being like a kind of film purist, I do feel like it works better in that episodic format. Oh, I really do. Of course it does. Of course it does. I know. Because I remember watching that movie like, okay, all right, come on, pick it up. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's always hard with those single location movies, right? You got to keep things interesting, especially with all your characters. And, you know, I love Quentin Tarantino. I feel like Hateful Eight is his weakest collection of characters he's put on screen. There's no one I'm really rooting for. I know it's the Hateful Eight. I know they're all, like, pretty bad. Uh, but I don't know. The, the movie itself, when it came out, I was super excited for it. It just... It didn't really grab me, and then I wanted to rewatch it, you know, under the prism of the Netflix show, and it was a little better. It was definitely more digestible. I did it like in two nights, um, but yeah, Hateful Eight is number eight for a reason. Mm. I probably won't ever revisit it again. I will revisit just for the Netflix aspect of it, right? But yes, I mm. agree. It was hard to like anybody in that movie. Probably Kurt Russell was the most likable. I did not like Bruce Dern. I can't. I don't like Walton Goggins. I don't like him. Whoa! Oh, I pump the brakes there. I don't. There will be no Walton Goggins slander. I don't think he's a great actor. It's just not. He's not for me. He's not for me. (laughs) Walton, if you, I know Walton's listening to this, dude. Marcus, Marcus believes in you, loves you since the Shield, justified. 
Vice oh, principles. Oh god. Okay, vice principles. Great. Stones. Great. Justified. Get, get out of here, this justified. Oh. No, thank you. Oh. No, thank you. Oh, okay. But we're on Tarantino. We're not Solo on Walton again. Goggins. All right, sorry. Okay? I will watch Solo time. again, okay? Thank you very much. <laughs> Let's swap that out with Dark Knight Rises on IMDb. Uh, oh, no. <laughs> but so I guess by default, we're just going to have to move Inglorious Bastards on through, right? Yeah, I mean, Inglorious Bastards will talk more at depth, I'm sure, when it faces off against either, which is right below the number four seed, Kill Bill Volume 1 against number five, Reservoir Dogs. Oh. Now, Reservoir Dogs was a Tuesday night classic at our local theater that I almost went and revisited, but uh, me papa decided to bail and not join me, even though he's never seen the movie. Yeah. Oh, I want to be at my cabin. You, then you go alone. It's the best. Yeah. I ended up going to Valley Luna. So, uh, great. Oh, of course you great did. Mexican you food. Pasta. <laughs> Valley Luna's Mexican, jerk. Whatever. Well, I said, okay, jeez. Well, we have a, in my part of town, I got a Bella Luna, oh. which is Italian. Well, that makes so. sense. Yeah. Well, But, I mean, bottom line, you choosing food over movies, got it, of course. <laughs> okay, this, this one's... I, I say that being too fit. Legitimately tough, though, because when you think of heist movies, right? Ocean's Eleven, always at the top of the list. There's, there's other great heist movies, and this one's always on there, too. But the, the thing that's so unique about Reservoir Dogs is the fact that you never get to see the heist. It's the aftermath mm-hmm. of the heist, and that's where it really comes alive. That's what makes this movie so good. You don't know any of the characters' real names, the Mr. Pink, Mr. You know, uh, uh, gosh, I always get stuck because of Steve Buscemi being Mr. Pink. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, Mr. Pink's the one who taught me not to tip you know anybody. So I, I will always take that uh, from this movie. I do tip people, except the frozen yogurt people. Dude, I will never tip tipping them. Tipping culture is getting out of hand anyway. Like, I'm just going to say yeah. it. Nah. Quentin Tarantino, man, he's ahead of his time yes. back in the early 90s. Dude, I got a coffee, and they're like, tip is fully optional. And I'm like, yep, no, you're doing your job. <laughs> Uh, wait, 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 wait. The frozen yogurt. You're doing it yourself. Again, wait, wait, we're, we're, what? We're getting off topic. I didn't even think of that. Why would I tip yes. somebody for pressing buttons on a cash register? Go to any frozen yogurt place. I didn't think we'd be talking about frozen yogurt with Quinn Tarantino. That's good. Wait, wait for the creme. Uh, okay. <laughs> back to the Reservoir Dogs. A super fun movie. His, his uh, theatrical, his feature debut. Am I correct? Yes. Um, yeah, you don't you don't see the heist, and you don't you don't need to, you know. I mean, Scorsese did the same thing with Go- uh, Goodfellas, um, Reservoir Dogs. The characters are great. The interplay between them is fantastic. The dialogue, of course, is where you know Quinnen makes a lot of his bread and butter. Um, I enjoy I enjoy Reservoir Dogs. Like you said, a lot of these are all pretty much winners. But against Kill Bill Volume One. It does. It doesn't hold a candle to it, Chris. I'm sorry. It doesn't really. It doesn't. Like no. I'm sitting here and you're saying all these things about Reservoir Dogs, and I'm like, yep, he's with me. He's with me. That Reservoir Dogs needs to move on because Kill Bill One is great, but if you don't have Kill Bill Two, it's completely useless. The action. It scene- is not useless. Kill Bill Volume One stands on its own. Does it? It really does. does. It really. And I get I get more steadfast in that stance every time I rewatch Kill Bill Volume One. The crazy eighty-eight fight. All right, that thing is one of the best action sequences of all time. Of all time. Of uh, how about of all time? It. it 
<laughs> the the movie's great. The characters, you know, when I had the issues with Hateful Eight, I do not have those issues, you know, with The Bride and Vernita Green and Oreni She. I love Kill Bill Volume 1, and it does stand, like, on its own. It has a little cliffhanger, you know, at the end, but it's its own movie. Gosh, there's, there's, there's one part in Kill Bill that I just, I, it just, ugh, it's cringy to me, and it's, my name's Buck. And I'm here to party. Yeah, uh, that the TBS and the, the pussy wagon is just come on. That was a I'm little prude. You're such a prude. Yeah, oh, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> Guilty. Gosh. Really, you're gonna you're gonna ding Kill Bill Volume One because of the P dub, <laughs> but you know someone getting his ear chopped off, you know, and tortured. That's fine for you. Got it. Yeah, that was great. Stuck great. in the it's middle with you. Like, come mm-hmm. on. That's fantastic. That is iconic, but that's one scene. Yeah, and, the, and then maybe even the diner talk at the beginning. But Kill Bill, you got your anime sequence. You got your Crazy 88 fight. You got the that's house the, fight. The Crazy 88 green. fight is the only thing people remember from Kill Bill. That's it. That's I just it. didn't like, name the two other scenes like right off the but top of my gonna head. But if you're going to say Kill Bill, that's the only thing that people remember. You remember the anime scene, which, gosh, it just... For me, it takes me out. It takes me out. Ugh. 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 You disgust me. You disgust me here. Thank you. I'm so glad. <laughs> Such a jerk. This is a tough one, dude. Like, legitimately tough. Because here's the other thing. I personally think Kill Bill 2 is better than 1. What? Yes. No, see, and that's, <laughs> that's funny. I'm not the biggest fan of Volume 2, uh, but I'm a, like, a diehard Volume 1, like, truther. Uh, <laughs> okay, uh, do, we need to, uh, do we need to phone a friend here? Sure. Okay, I'm going to try, try my buddy, my cousin Aaron, and uh, we'll see if, if he can shed some light in this situation. So while Chris gets him on the line, whenever we reach in, you know, impasse, we will phone a friend and they will break the tie for us. Because that's the only fair thing to do. Because it doesn't look like we're going to be able to convince each other otherwise. And sometimes this is a, you know, a exercise in futility because whichever movie hey, does up, advance. Oh, oh, we got him. Hello. Hello. Hey. Hey, there. Hey, I have a quick question for you. All right. What is the better Quentin Tarantino movie out of these two selections? Is it Kill Bill Volume 1 or Reservoir Dogs? What was the first one? You both. Kill Bill Volume 1 or Reservoir Dogs? Reservoir Dogs. Can I ask why? So I haven't seen Kill Bill. Oh, you haven't seen Kill Bill? Then, then you're worthless. Oh, I hang up on you. Hang up. Wow. All right. You know what? Forget I'll, it, I'll do Kill Fine. Bill. I'll do Kill Bill. Fine. No, I was, I was going to say I'll nope, do Reservoir I'm going to be the bigger person before you can. Kill Bill. No, you know how magnanimous of you. Put it through. Kill oh, Bill Volume 1. Marcus wins. You. Marcus wins the round. I'm the winner. Okay. So, uh, yes. Kill Bill Volume 1 will be going up against Inglorious Bastards. <laughs> I mean, 
<laughs> okay. I, it, I, I was good at that. Let's go to the other side of the bracket. The other side of the bracket. We got, we got the number two seed, Pulp Fiction, <clears throat> versus the number seven seed, Kill Bill Volume 2. <sighs> and if you guys were just paying attention to this conversation, I'm not the biggest Volume 2 fan. It's really fun. It's great. I'm just, I love Volume 1. Pulp Fiction, though. Chris, is this considered one of the greatest films of all time? Uh, yeah, it is. Yes. Uh, it is, I think, on our poster, it's like number four. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying that's the end all to everything, but Pulp Fiction, gosh, it really helped solidify uh, nonlinear storytelling. And it threw me for a loop the first time I saw it. And it was one of those movies that stuck with you. For me, at least. So, Chris, we're coming up on the 30-year anniversary of Pulp Fiction, okay? So, this is pretty much a generation uh, away from, you know, most new filmgoers today. So, I, I'm in that boat right now at my job, you know, managing a movie theater. I got a lot of young people who don't necessarily know about these movies. Um, and sometimes I hear, oh, that old movie? Uh, nah, uh. I don't want to watch it. What, what would you tell the youth of America today about Pulp Fiction and why they should watch it? I have a, a bad tendency to any time I suggest a movie to somebody and they say, oh, okay, cool. And I say, don't watch a trailer. Don't read a synopsis. Go in as cold as you possibly can because it will make the movie more enjoyable. I stand by that. But, mm -hmm. you know, in the world of TikTok where everybody is so easily distracted and stuff, I think you would have to say... This is a movie that will subvert all your expectations, regardless of any synopsis you read or trailer you watch. It is going to take what you expect. It's going to flip it upside down. It's going to punch you in the skull or do something different. And you are literally going to be mind blown by how this movie perfectly executes, like I said, nonlinear storytelling, perfect dialogue great characters and the most magical and greatest MacGuffin in the history of cinema. <laughs> I, I mean, love it. You convinced me. Oh wait, I've seen the movie like 20 times. Yeah. And I love Pulp Fiction. It moves on. Yes. Beating out of Kill course. Bill volume two. So we move down to the, so why do you like, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. Why do you like volume two better than volume oh, one? Man. I feel like volume two is just slower. Oh, and then when she goes to meet so, Bill, the movie just so comes great. a crashing halt. No, that's so when great. it is oh. like so good. The dialogue is so good. I, and okay. My favorite movie of all time, besides star Wars is there will be blood. A movie that people say is yeah. slow and boring. I think it is one of the Which most electric, uh, anti-hero villain movies I have ever seen and it is something extraordinarily unique and that's why I like dialogue driven movies so Reservoir Dogs over Kill Bill 1 Kill Bill 2 over Kill Bill 1 I think the the in all the backstory that you get right to help Kill Bill Volume 1 pay off. really helps mm -hmm. in, in number 2 the dialogue scenes uh, between the bride and Bill so perfect uh, in the climax. I love it. But against uh, Pulp Fiction, not a chance. No. All right, take us to the next one, buddy. All right, we have the number three seed, Django Unchained versus number six, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, starring Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie. Django Unchained starring Jamie Foxx, 
Christoph Waltz, Leo again, Leo, uh, <laughs> Kerry Washington. Um, Chris, when I looked at this bracket, this was the uh, one matchup I instantly gravitated to and went, oh, no. Yeah. This is a tough one for me. This is a big one. This is a big one. <laughs> so, all right, for me, it was a little tough at first, but I've been with this bracket for a couple days, right? So I've seen this, mm -hmm. and I've known this was coming. And so for me, I look at this, and I think, well, I know what I'm picking. And it's Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh, all right. So see, and like, I wait. Sometimes I need to wait for your opinion just to see if I can be swayed or not. Because, you know, if you said Django, I probably would be like, oh, yes. I mean, you can see right behind me, this this shoulder. That's the Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Poster, oh, my gosh. Right, right there. All right. I got Inglorious Bastards right here to my left. Um, I love Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. In full disclosure, the first time I saw it, I was like, eh. Same. We've we talked about like, this. He's falling off. Yeah, <laughs> when it came out, I remember. <sighs> I was like, mm, wasn't the best. And then, like a couple weeks later, I was uh, after work, you know, being at the movie theater. I was like, let's give it another shot. I got nothing to do. I watched it by myself, and I was like, midway through, I'm like, this movie's really fun. You're just hanging out with these guys, you know. Well, and the callbacks, again. right? Yeah. Oh, it's so perfectly set up, and I had the same experience. I've watched this movie eight times this year alone. Yes. And like there's there's one one scene where it's like I wanted it to pick up and just be a little shorter. But in the grand scheme of things, the whole movie is is just completely bonkers. It's so much fun. It's unlike what I expected it to be. But then again, that's what trailers do, right? They set it up mm -hmm. for something. But I think I think this is going to be one of those movies that slowly creeps up into the Tarantino filmography. And then you're just like, wow, that was a great movie. And then it's climbing up the ladder. It's getting higher than Reservoir yeah. Dogs, higher than Kill Bill. And for it to be number six, I think is a, is a travesty. I thought it should be number three. It's it's become a movie, and you can't really do this with a lot of Quentin Tarantino movies. You know, I've seen it so much. It's one of those movies I can seriously just pop on, have the TV while I'm like, doing chores around the house and then like a certain scene will come on and you know you just kind of stand there in your living room yep. and you just watch it dude like it could be you know the bruce lee fight scene or it, you know it could be rick dalton messing up his lines <laughs> um, <laughs> hey whiskey sours <laughs> could stop at three or four out of eight uh i adore that movie but then you go to, yeah, Django Unchained, which another fantastic Leo performance. It's great seeing him in the villain role. Um, I love Jamie Foxx in that movie, and I'm so glad it was him and not Will Smith. Um, I know. Will Smith turned it down because he felt like he wasn't the main character, which, okay, cl classic Will, right? Well, that's why he had um, to slap Chris Rock at the... <laughs> I'm the main character always. Uh, and... Django is another movie I loved. I loved it when it first came out. But, you know, as you digest more and more Quentin Tarantino, you look at, like, Christoph Waltz, who did win an Oscar for this movie, just like in Glorious Bastards. I feel like he's just nice Hans Landa yes. in this movie. Okay. And then you watch more and more Christoph Waltz movies, and it's like— He's always oh, man, nice Hans Landa. Yeah. And, and Brad I Pitt. Think that's why I have— yeah, he won for this. I, I think that's why I have to put Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you know, over. No. Yes. 
<laughs> oh my gosh. I'm so excited because, okay, so I remember when I saw the movie, I saw it with Aaron, who we just called, and we both walked out and like, eh. And my dad asked me, how was it? And I'm like, eh. And then now I'm like, dad, you have to see it. And he's like, you said it was eh. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and then I watched it again. And then I actually thought about it more. And it's brilliant, Gary. Oh my god! I, I will say I will say this though about Django. It has one of my favorite Quentin Tarantino cameos. I thought he was hilarious <laughs> in his scene when he's the the slave driver and he gets blown up by his own dynamite. Oh, that was classic. <laughs> he's Australian too. Uh, randomly. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Arnar. Uh, yeah. There's uh, there's a I I say it to bug somebody who hates my horrendous Australian accent, but I'll just walk by randomly like Arnar. I forgot my part Farley are. And then, <laughs> that's it. That's all I need to do just to annoy. All right. So Once Upon a Time beats out Jing- Django Unchained and will face off against Pulp Fiction. Oh, my gosh. All right. Ooh. But now we're going to go back to the left side of the bracket where we have the number one seed in Glorious Bastards going up against number four, Kill Bill, volume one. <laughs> so while you were trying to get, you know, the phone a friend uh, on the line, I was uh, just kind of like vamping a little bit, and I said, you know what, this is fun, but it's an exercise in futility, because <laughs> whatever wins is going up against Inglorious Bastards, and uh, oh. <laughs> you know, there's just Inglorious Bastards is just a perfect movie, and like, you know, you've already Chris has already clicked it on through to the finals. I mean, do we just wait to the finals to fully get in our Inglorious Bastards? Stakes? I think we do. I think we do. Yeah. Okay. And, and sometimes this happens on the pop culture playoffs. You have a, a item that just steamrolls yep. to the finals. With good don't, reason. Don't worry, listeners. We will reason. we will talk about it. Okay. So Pulp Fiction against Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm. Okay. Can I? May I speak for a moment? <laughs> may I? <laughs> uh, cl- classic Chris callback. <laughs> yes. I, I have a feeling though, Chris. You and I are gonna. Agree. I just it's it's in the gut. I can feel it in my plums. Go, go ahead. Sir. Okay. Pulp Fiction is an incredible movie. It is written with such panache, and it is made so eloquently, right? And it was nominated for Best Picture. It lost against uh, Forrest Gump, I believe. But even mm. then, if Forrest Gump wasn't the winner, would it have been Pulp Fiction or would it have been Shawshank Redemption? Um, that has no bearing on this. I'm just bringing it up. I don't know why, but Pulp Fiction's we're film bros, man. We got, we got to stick with Pulp Fiction. That's what we do. Pulp Fiction is great. But the more and more I watch a film like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the more and more I see that Tarantino has taken everything he's done from side work, you know, his work on uh, writing Natural Born Killers, uh, True Romance being in From Dusk Till Dawn, and then making Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, um, Kill Bill, Django, all these other movies. It seems like that panache and elegant level of filmmaking has has moved above everything else. And Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is this magnificent opus. And the biggest love letter to Hollywood and movies and everything that he holds in such high esteem that I also will hold up in such high esteem. And I think while the nonlinear aspect of Pulp Fiction is great, I think it is the also the thing that is 
possibly sometimes most known for. I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but you look at what that did and, and it really helped kind of propel that level or that aspect of filmmaking uh, in 94, right? 94. Mm-hmm. But Once Upon a Time in Hollywood does something that so many other films and directors try to do, which is have brilliant exposition that sets up so many nuances and and necessary elements for it to happen later down the road in the movie. The simple aspect of Al Pacino talking to Rick Dalton and talking about the German movie where he has to learn how to use the flamethrower so perfectly is necessary for the climax of this movie. Something like that. I love it. Like you see Cliff Booth when he's working on the antenna, he has to go get the tools from the shed and you see the flame floor yes. like right there, like next to the door. And I didn't catch that till like my third or fourth viewing, Chris. And I was like, that is amazing. The, the little things like that, the Brad Pitt feeding his dog and the control he has yeah. over the dog, <laughs> all that kind of stuff. There's so much, the simple part of, the audience is the camera when they're filming the Rick Dalton scene and then he messes up the line and then it moves. The camera literally moves back. It's so brilliantly done. That was transcendent because you get sucked into that scene just for what it is, right? Like you're sucked into that world of the TV show. And then all of a sudden Rick Dalton forgets his line. And you're like, Oh shoot, this isn't the movie. (laughs) Right. Just like Nocturnal Animals did that so well with the story that Amy Adams is reading, mm-hmm. this did it insanely well, like better. Um, and I honestly think Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is a better movie than Pulp Fiction. So brilliant soliloquy right there, Chris. <laughs> I. <laughs> I got to tell you, look, my gut was right. Oh, my we gosh. are on the same page because before before we move on, I want to ask you because this is this is what pushes, you know, Hollywood over Pulp Fiction for me. You said Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, there's a scene you kind of want that to pick up. What what scene is it? It's that? a scene when Brad Pitt is going to see Bruce Dern on the ranch. Oh, yeah. That's it. I I love that scene. I thought it was great, and especially the first time you're watching it. Even like on your tenth rewatch, you're like, "Is Cliff gonna die here? Is he like there? The, is the Manson family gonna kill him?" Um, I, I like that scene. I go to Pulp Fiction, and Butch's whole story with him and his girlfriend just drives me insane. I think it derails the whole movie. Not the watch with Christopher Walken that whole monologue, but when <sighs> he's on screen with his girlfriend. It just, I'm sorry, that's what honestly keeps Pulp Fiction being an absolute bona fide, just five-star classic. It's four and a half for me. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood does not have that for me. Every every scene is amazing. Um, put it through to the floor. Wow. Okay, this is not what I was expecting. Literally not yeah. <laughs> at all. I was expecting the number one and number two just to steamroll their way in the entire time. <laughs> Holy crap, dude. Like I'm, I'm at a loss and I'm I so don't know. Excited. I think it's right. Cause let's say Pulp Fiction was on the other side. I'd take Inglorious Bastards over it any day. Oh yeah. Okay. This, oh man. So we have in the final matchup, this is to declare the winner. We have the number one seed in Glorious Bastards against the upset of a lifetime <laughs> Once Upon a Time in Hollywood beats out two incredible films and great Tarantino movies 
beats out Django Unchained and Pulp Fiction. Inglorious had Cinderella it a little bit story. easier on the left side of the bracket. Yes. Going up against Hateful oh, Eight sure. and Kill Bill. Uh, you know, that that was just, my goodness. But just as with March Madness fashion, there is always an underdog that takes out <laughs> some very high top tier, top seeded teams. And that is our, like you said, Cinderella story of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. So Inglorious Bastards. And we both have two two movies in the finals that basically, you know, just threw the history book out the window and said, no, this is what I want to do. You know, of course, with uh, Once Upon a Time of Hollywood's ending with the Manson family getting what they deserve, as opposed to Sharon Tate and Abigail Folger. Um, Inglorious Bastards, we all know, very famous ending with the whole Third Reich basically (laughs) gets, you know, shredded by bullets and burned alive. I love it. Um, this is where I come in, Chris. We haven't really gotten to talk about Inglorious Bastards. I know I mentioned I got the Once Upon a Time poster behind me. I got Inglorious Bastards. Inglorious Bastards is my favorite movie of all time. What? Is it really? I made that proclamation to my girlfriend uh, about four months ago on my last rewatch of this movie. Dude, I would have expected some crappy Marvel movie. Oh no, man! I am falling out of favor with Marvel. I'm I'm getting the fatigue oh, there. Oh gosh, there's so there's, there's bad. too much stuff. It's just the same thing that happened to Star Wars now happening to Marvel. Whoa. Um, Whoa. I'm not here to talk about all that mid stuff as the kids like to say these days. I'm here to talk about premier filmmaking. Inglorious Bastards is a masterpiece, a masterpiece, frame by frame, perfect. In its performances, in its characters, in its story, and the way the story unfolds, how everything comes together. Um, because you're basically, you have two different plot lines in the movie. You got, you know, Shoshana, and then you got the bastards all coming to the head against Hans Landa and the Nazis. And the movie is just, it's shot beautifully. Um, and it features probably my favorite movie scene ever. And, you know, that's the standoff in the cellar downstairs with michael fassbender and diane kruger i i can't tell you how many times i've seen that uh i've watched that scene chris and i still get like sweaty palms i was watching it it, like a month ago and my apple watch was dinging that my heart rate was elevated not even joking (laughs) even though i know exactly what's gonna happen but oh Continue. Sorry. This is how sorry, I know that, that this is how you know that scene's good. So I'm watching my girlfriend. She's not the biggest movie person, all right? She, you know, she's of the TikTok Dumper. generation. That's how Dumper. I know. <laughs> no, I love her. Uh, but you know, she's on the phone. I'm watching Glorious Bastards. And look, you know, that whole scene's pretty much in German, right? She's on her phone, but as the scene's unfolding, you know, she's doing the thing. She's like looking up, looking down, looking up, and then she just kind of puts the phone down and she's just looking up. And she didn't, like, you don't hear English, but you can just tell through the inflections of their voices, the, the, the silences, the beats, it just creates suspense like no other scene I can think of. And it's perfect. And then of course it ends, you know, in a Quentin Tarantino like bloodbath. And then we get that comedy, (laughs) uh, with Brad Pitt off screen, by the way, which is so great. Just yelling down the stairs. I love that movie. And that's just one scene. Dude, you know, we could talk about Hans Landa with oh, the, the opening Mr. scene. Eats milk at the, the opening yeah. scene's incredible. That's a, what, a 20-minute scene? Yes. It feels like it's five minutes. Oh, my God, dude. I, it does. Uh, the other day, I'm watching it. Okay, my kids are playing upstairs, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to watch Inglorious Bastards for as long as I can until they come down. And then, you know, they come down right when he points his pistol at Shoshana. And then they come down. I'm like, oh. 
I got like five minutes. And then I pause, and it's like 22, and I'm like, oh. What? All right. Okay. That scene's basically its own movie. Dude. You know, that, that could be a short a film all of itself. End. Yeah. And if it did, right. that would have won Best Short at the Oscar, hands down, every single time. <laughs> okay. Um, the movie that I think deserves to win is the one that stars Brad Pitt. Now. Yes. All right. Good. I'm glad we're on the same. You page. didn't do that. You do it. that every time. I was. I was and... gonna. I was gonna bring it up. Yeah. You're stepping on my material, Zimmerman. Yeah, baby. <laughs> yeah. Oh, again. <laughs> All right. Uh, once upon a time in Hollywood. Excellent. I just. I just went through this whole emotional, ugh, gut punch of why I deserve to beat out Pulp Fiction. Now, if I try to present the same. Um, the same aspects of what's upon a time in Hollywood and why it deserves to beat out inglorious bastards. I will stumble and fall every single time because in, there are moments in once upon a time in Hollywood where I hit that little button on my Apple remote to skip ahead 15 seconds. There is not a single moment whatsoever in inglorious bastards that I will ever skip ever. I can pick up the movie, whether it's when they're waiting for the strudel whipped cream I can pick up this movie at the end, you know, Gorlami. It doesn't matter, like, if I still had cable. Like, remember back in the day, you're just flipping through the channels, a few good men comes yeah. on, and you're like, well, I'm here for an hour. And then you just sit and watch that, mm -hmm. right? That is Inglorious Bastards every single time. And there is not a moment. And if, I, if that were to happen, I'd be like, dang it, I missed it. Even though I own the movie and I can watch it whenever I want. Inglorious Bastards, as you said, is a factual masterpiece. <laughs> Just how many iconic scenes are in that movie? Like I, I, mean, I named off two. We can, I could rattle off. You can just rattle off the whole movie. And there's it's just every. And scene. there's two movies within this movie. There's there's the movie that they filmed with Daniel Bruhl that Eli Roth directed for this movie. <laughs> oh. Now, okay, I do need to give one gripe. One gripe about Inglorious Bastards, and it's the bear Jew. That is the only part that bugs me. Is you know, two hits, I hit you. You hit the floor. <laughs> All right, Eli. Do I love Donnie Donowitz? Do your, do oh, your thing. come on. We got a German wants to die. I told country. you. I told you. Oblige him. Iconic dialogue. Aldo Rain. Is it Brad Pitt's? Best character? I know he won the Oscar for Cliff Booth, but did he get robbed? I don't know. Have you seen Meet Joe Black? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> God, <laughs> that was so good. It, it, Meet Joe Black was actually good. I enjoyed that movie. Uh, Inglorious Bastards. Yes, it is his best movie. Uh, so, spoiler alert, if we ever do a Brad Pitt pop culture playoff, <laughs> yeah, Inglorious um, will win it all, but take it all the way. You know what? It, it, Brad Pitt pop culture playoffs will end like this, so we probably shouldn't do that one. Yeah, it, dude, it really would. Um, I can or Lost City. Lost City might get in there with his cameo. <laughs> Chris just gave me a stare, face melting, melting death stare. <laughs> uh, I cannot, for the life of me, put Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as the best Tarantino movie while Inglorious Bastards exist. If if this was any other movie and Inglorious Bastards was never made, right? So everything gets bumped <laughs> up and number eight is death proof, right? Right. And this is Pulp Fiction. Oh, I mean, he just took out all the other two. I mean, we saw it. Yeah. Inglorious, I cannot. It is 
Chris, I, I, like I said, I got my Inglorious Bastards poster here in my office. And sometimes, like, it's happened twice where I've switched it out with, like, a newer poster. Like, I had that really cool, the Batman poster up, and it just didn't feel right to me. Like, after two months, I was like, I, I, need, I need the Bastards back up here. It's just, it's a perfect movie, and I, I think we have our, our winner. So that means, is it official? It is. That means the greatest Quentin Tarantino movie to win this episode of Pop Culture Playoffs is... Inglorious Bastards. Bastard. I don't know what, what your cadence was. Inglorious Bastards. Yes, Inglorious Bastards wins. Oh, my goodness. This was just such a great episode to talk about all these incredible movies. If there's a movie on here that you haven't seen, I highly suggest that you watch them. Because even though we dogged on Hateful Eight a little bit, it is still is a really so good. good movie, right? Like I said, Spielberg has has a handful of bad movies in his filmography. Tarantino really doesn't as far as I'm concerned. Um but Inglorious Bastards is in another level all on its own. Okay, so side note, right? I opened a movie theater for the the company that we both worked for, Marcus still does, and it was the first all digital theater in the state of Arizona. But we still had four 35 millimeters uh, uh, projectors. And for whatever reason, we were sent Inglorious Bastards on 35 millimeter. Mm. So it got scratched. No. Badly. And that was the same day, the night it got scratched, the next day, the president of the company and the VP and the director of theater operations all came in. And I was the manager. And they're looking at it because they walked in. They're like, what are those? And I'm like, unfortunately, the film got scratched last night. And they they got pissed. Not at us. They got pissed yeah. at the film buying department. And they said, why the heck did they send you a 35 millimeter print of this movie when you have digital projectors? And so the movie came that day. And so I had to go in early the next morning and, and screen it. I had not gotten to see it yet. This was after opening weekend. Mm. And the whole time I got there at six to watch this movie and I'm just glued to the screen. Right. (laughs) But it doesn't matter if it's now or then I am glued to the TV with the same level of intensity. The first time I saw it every single time. It's like, I can't wait. till my, you know, kids are of age to be able to watch that movie. It's like, Oh, it's going to be so good. Oh my gosh. Yeah. There's so many movies where I want my kids to watch, but I need to wait. So they understand themes and, and just, Mm. it's not just, can they handle the level of violence or whatever it is in the movie? Can they understand it? Can they comprehend this film? Uh, Sorry. We derail a lot. (laughs) Even after we've like uh, the climax, so to speak on the episode, ew, uh, finish the episode. Mm. We got we're we're wrapping it's it up. Completed. Chris, where can people follow you? All right. where, where can people follow you? Disagree you disagree like, uh, with any yeah. of our picks? If you think Django is the best or Pulp Fiction or whatever the case may be, let us know. You can follow us on Twitter at Murray Marcus for Marcus, at Zima Bim Bim for me. And uh yeah, that's that's about it. Right? Yeah, that's it. Thank you for participating in the pop culture playoffs, everyone. And uh, we got some fun ones on deck for you. Can't wait for you all to listen. Later.